Hey, just a few quick notes before we get into this really nice episode, if I don't say so myself. During the recording of this episode, as it was online, there's a few dropouts uh, thanks to the amazing internet connection I was blessed with on that night. Uh, but thankfully, Kara was recording her end with her phone. Um, it's not the best quality, but we still have those pieces. So when you hear them, don't freak out. It's just the audio recording from the phone. All right, let's dive right into this. It's always interesting starting this. It's like starting a parked car, you know, you sort of have to build the yeah. momentum. Um, but but the theme for our chat today was, I really, I'm interested in hearing from you about your journey through that, that self-loving relationship with yourself. And I'm, I wanted to talk to you specifically because um, for anyone who's seen your TED Talk, it's clear that you have gone through quite a journey yourself and obviously that journey hasn't stopped you it's a continual process you're on so i wanted to understand more about like what you've gone through and really get down to the specific points in your journey that have caused you a bit more trouble than other points if that makes sense so like really so big big fears big doubts and almost like these uh, threshold points where you've been like, I can't like this relation, this, this loving relationship with myself is just too, too hard. Like this is, there's some doubt that's surfaced or some fear that's just so big. You're like, I, okay, I'm going to turn around or this, what am I doing? I'm crazy. Yeah. That's how I felt it sometimes anyway. So I wanted to hear about you okay. on that. Um, you asked the question when you sent me questions that was akin to this about fear. Um, I'm just looking for the answer. Okay. It might've been one of the first questions and I've written down here, what are the things which have stopped you from taking loving action for yourself? Yeah, that's what I was just reading. Yeah, I, for that I wrote, um, this is a hard one because there has been so many <laughs> and I wrote um, doubts like what if I can't and what if it doesn't work and what if I don't work? Those have been the biggest doubts. It's like um, the fear that I'll try and it won't change anything and that I'm wasting my time. Um, that fear is one that I think holds a lot of us back. The fear of really putting your 100% into something and then not returning back anything. Um, I also wrote under that question, the opposite of doubt is sure, being completely sure. The beginning of self-love is being sure that you know what's good for you and you're not going to do something 
that fucks up your life. You have to know yourself as your best friend in this game. A lot of people are afraid of themselves, which is why they can't move. They're sort of paralyzed from doubt about if they are going to destroy themselves or not. This is what I wrote. So we can go from there. Yeah. Doubt, that's a huge one. Uh, and I've noticed that every time a doubtful thought or feeling comes into my body, I feel really heavy and like everything immediately gets harder. And so I may, I may just be putting on my clothes for the day and I might think about maybe a scary situation or a conversation I need to have with a friend uh, that I'm not looking forward to and this doubt comes into my mind and instantly like my arms and legs get heavier and my body feels more vulnerable in a way uh, or just, yeah, how, how, do, how, how do you feel it? Absolutely. Um, doubt is a care to, akin to fear because the only reason you would have a doubt is that you, is that you fear um, what may happen. Like, okay, that's not, that's not what I'm trying to say. Doubts are fine, but usually when we doubt, it's in a neg it has a negative connotation. So if I, it's usually not something positive. For example, I never, um, if I'm sad, I never wake up in the morning and doubt that I will be sad. I'm usually doubting that I will be happy, which is a fear. So like, you never question that bad things are gonna happen. Like if somebody told you like tomorrow's going, you're gonna be depressed, it's gonna be a bad day, you'd be like, yeah, probably. Like you never doubt that things will be bad. <laughs> you always think things. So whatever we're doubting is usually of doubting that things will be good, which is a fear that things will be bad. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, that's how I think of it. So it makes sense that your body gets heavy and that your heart starts to beat and your face becomes inflamed and the blood rushes because really a lot of our lives at this point and our ascension process is being tested um, in regards to how well we can let go of fear-based actions. And a fear-based action is any thought, any idea, any action that you do whose main catalyst was a fear. The main agitation point was a fear. So like when you think of that conversation that you're gonna have with your friend, the fear is what makes you start um, freaking out. Like, and the fact that you had that thought, what if we start arguing? What if they don't understand me? What if they bring up that thing that I don't want them to know? What if the secret comes up? What if we have to talk about that hard thing? The fact that you're having those thoughts, they none of those thoughts are reality. You're making them up in your head and none of those things have happened yet. So you are literally just making disastrous scenarios out of nothing. 
and forgetting that you have the power to make sure that none of those terrible things happen and that you have guides and ancestors that are on your side is really doubting that anything is good for you and that you have any power. Because if you ask yourself, would I have that thing happen if I could choose? And you would say, absolutely not. So then you're admitting that you think you can't choose and that you're going to be a victim and that something is going to happen to you. Right. Like all, um, suddenly all your uh, abilities are taken away and this just this impending exactly. fearful thing is just going to happen. Exactly. You're um, you're taking your agency away and your power away when you fear uh, disastrous things, because if you have any power in a situation, you would never willfully create something disastrous for yourself. So when, when things like that happen to me, I really just go, when I start envisioning, envisioning very negative things happening in a scenario, I just go, well, Kara, would you ever do the things that would make that scenario come true? And then I would say like, no, I would never put myself in that situation. It's like, so then why are you worried about it happening if you won't put yourself in that situation? <laughs> and it's like, because, because I'm running a fear-based program that makes me think of cataclysm every time I open my eyes. Right. That's really destroying my life. I should stop that. <laughs> and then I do, I do stop that. And then amazing things happen. How do you stop that? That's, that's the question. Well, how do you stop it? How do I stop it? Yeah. I like that. I like you that you threw that back at me. Um, I stop it by, well, look, when I'm sort of on the game and I'm feeling somewhat grounded, I can remind myself to pay attention to what's going on around me and bring myself back into the moment. And I'll do that by becoming really aware of the sounds I hear like around me. Uh, and really, they're any old sound, nothing special. Uh, could really be an annoying sound. doesn't matter what it is. I'm literally just focusing my attention back on the reality of right now. Because yeah. in this moment, that doubt, those fears, my uh, imagined disability is not real. Uh, they don't exist in this, in this actual reality. And that can, be, that can be really hard to remind yourself of if you're really deep down into that fear or that doubt. But I've found that by practicing bringing myself back into the moment, like I remember times of anxiety, you know, your chest tightens up, like really like um, strong, um, strong feelings and you're deep into it. But still bringing, yeah. bringing myself back into the moment relieve some of that and every time I did it it got less and less and less and it was a real struggle but and that was hard I was still doubting like is this even doing anything you know anything anything at all right. you you think like why why am I distracting myself from the cataclysm I should be focusing <laughs> on it I have to think about it I have to think about it I have to think about it and then you think that you're like you're doing a, a bad thing by by doing a good thing it's kind of like you're you're under this type of mind control where anything you, um, positive that you do for yourself, you can kind of trick yourself into thinking that it's negative still. Oh, we could, we we went out. 
we went out. I think I think <laughs> I don't know. Did you sh- did you shuffle your computer or something? Ah, uh, I was about to open Word to take a note. I think that would have might have been. But I was saying it's crazy. It's like something negative happens. So you do something that is working to get yourself in a positive state. Then when you get there, the negative thing, the the crumbs of it are still saying you shouldn't have made yourself feel better. Even that was wrong. And then you have to attack that as well. Okay. So how do you do that? I do it quite militantly <laughs> as an Aries sun person. I, I have, um, I just say things like, I remind myself that everything that I am thinking, I am simultaneously manifesting. Everything that I am thinking, I am making true. So it's like when people say um, words are powerful or be careful what you wish for or don't um, bite off more than you can chew. When I'm having those cataclysmic thoughts that are giving me anxiety, I really think to myself, the only reason this thing that you're afraid of happening will happen is because you're thinking it will happen. So stop thinking it will happen and it won't happen. And then I really believe in that. I believe that if I don't put any energy towards that happening, that it is starved of manifestation power. I literally, I don't even pay attention to something negative could happen. Then it literally has no power behind it to happen. So I redirect my energy to what I want to happen. Even if I don't know specifically what I want to happen, if I'm going in a situation, a conversation with my best friend, I'll go, um, this this conversation is going to be positive and we're going to come out of this stronger and better. That's what I think. And that's what I say. It's going to be better. It's going to be stronger. We're going to get through this. It's going to be wonderful. This is going to be wonderful. Because when I redirect my energy to that, my brain is now calculating ways to make this wonderful. Things to say to make this wonderful. Ways to feel to make this wonderful. And when your brain is a powerful computer, when you're inputting that intention or that data, it will find a way to make things wonderful you just really have to give it your all right so as you were saying that there was i was thinking okay what if that's all just positive thinking you know what if Mm -hmm. i'm like okay i have to make this wonderful like this conversation is going to be wonderful but deep down i don't believe it like i gotta make it wonderful gotta make it wonderful i'm laughing because when you said what if it's just positive thinking i'm like and to that i say what do you mean? Just positive thinking. Right. Just that's like saying, what if I what if you're like if I'm talking about poverty and then a, a rich person is like, I'm going to put a hundred billion dollars in your bank account. And then I go, that's just money. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, because that's what you need right now yeah. to fix your problems. The, the powerful, the positive thinking is very real and works. But I know what you were saying. I agree. I agree. I I'm, I'm I glad you, you made that point. No, no, I'm glad you made that point because this part of me has come up though when like you read some technique in a self-help book or you're like, I'm going to try Absolutely. that next time I have some doubt. 
and you try it and you're like, oh my God, I feel like such a phony. And it's, you know, and there's yeah. like this feeling of fakeness, right? That comes up and yeah. there's another doubt that kind of suffocates your efforts to bring yourself to a, a better place. So mm -hmm. that's, that's why I asked that question because it's, it's, it's really real. Like you, my mind makes it real, but I agree with you. I think it's just an indication if we still feel like uh, we're being phony by putting a positive intention, which is overriding our doubts. I think it's just uh, an indication that doubts are a little bit stronger than our positive intention. Doesn't mean it's bad. Doesn't mean that you're not going to go and have a wonderful conversation with your friend either. And going back to what I said before about coming back into the moment and every time I do it, the doubts would become less and less. And I think just the same way, every time you practice your positive intention or setting that consciously, like I'm aware there's a doubt here. I'm aware I'm freaking myself right. out right now about something that hasn't happened and will not happen if I don't want it to. So I'm going to reset my intention consciously and say, no, I'm going to, you know, put this positive energy into this thing and remind myself I have the ability to keep myself safe. And, to, you know, if things really do go crazy, which they probably won't, I have the ability to, I don't know, in that crazy scenario, A, run away, call a friend, you know, all these options. You, you, yeah, so... Yeah, you said so many thoughts running through my head. You're saying so many valid things. This is a process. All of this is a process. It's not going to happen overnight, but we wake up every day after a night's sleep and have to live. So we have a lot of nights. It's not going to happen over one night, but involuntarily, well, voluntarily, but in a sense, involuntarily, we wake up every day. We like they say, Rome wasn't built in a day, but because we will live more than a day, we are building something and we will get to our Rome and by the end. So it's like a house begins with the first brick and I could look at the first brick and freak out that it's not a bathroom and it's not a living room. And that if I, if I, if I tried to sit on the brick as if it was my bed and I had a whole house and it was clearly just a brick, I would feel like a phony. But if I know that, like you said, I should feel like a phony at this point because it, I haven't even really begun building this house. So one brick and I'm showing my friends like, look at my house, it's wonderful. I would seem silly because it's not yet finished. So it would warrant some um, not doubt, but skepticism that it would ever, but I do use my logic to know that all houses are this, is this accumulation of bricks. So if I have, if I'll keep, something's going to get built something that's just, that's just the laws of the universe, the laws of nature. If I keep adding to something, it will build something. Um, you were talking about freaking out about something that hasn't happened yet. Something that helps me when I start um, freaking out. I think how many times have I been getting ready for work and I'm in the front of my head, I'm putting so much energy to like, am I gonna catch a cab? Or what if um, 
what if I go outside and that thing that sometimes happens is happening and it ruins my day. Um, and then I go outside and the cab pulls right up to my door. And I've literally spent three hours worrying about this cab and this disastrous event that never happens. And then I get in the cab and I find something else to worry about. I'm like, this cab driver, he's going <laughs> to overcharge me. He's going to overcharge me. He's going to overcharge me. They're always overcharging me. And then he and then he goes, oh, I, I'll do it pro bono. Just it's for free. And then you're like, I just spent the whole cab ride thinking some guy was going to scam me and he gave it to me for free. If you really start counting the times that you think about the future and then you are completely wrong, then you will realize that you need to stop trying to predict things because you're usually wrong. Yeah. Usually wrong. So just those statistics enough is enough for me to cut out the worrying. Because if I really think about all the stuff that I worry about in a day, less than 10% of them happen every day. Yeah. But then we don't really catch that. So the next, because we're in the habit of doing it for, for various reasons, the next day we wake up and even though 10, even though the cab came and it came for free and then everything was great at school. And then like, even in college where you like um, are afraid of a test, and then you go to class and your teacher's like, oh, it's open book. Take your notes out. And then you're like, I spent so much time or or it's like a test. And then you get the email like, oh, I'm sick. Class is canceled. You really realize how much time you waste on worrying about things you can't control. And that really you're that you're just making up out of thin air and it has no proof, no proof that it will happen. So just the sheer um, logic of, of doing that for yourself and realizing how incorrect you always are when you do that. Um, your question about the, the, the phoniness, feeling phony when you're doing these things, meditating and saying positive things, so I, I think I explained that with the brick in the house, that it's a process and it takes time to feel like I'm in a house is going to take more than one brick. So I'm going to have to meditate more than one time to feel the effects of meditation, just like exercise. I can go to the gym and I can uh, be in there for three hours a day for two days and still be very, very unhealthy <laughs> because it's like, yeah, great. You did that. And, and so it's an, it's about endurance and dedication. Um, the effects of these things take time, but also some things are instant. I'm all about transcending time. Time is an illusion. Time is a construct. I can work with time. Time is an alive being just how I am. So I can learn to manipulate time. But for people who are just starting out, things will take a lot of time, which is really, it takes a lot of your attention. If you learn how to concentrate your intention, just like you concentrate a drink, you can take a shot of something very strong and not have to drink a lot of it for it to have an effect. But um, very interesting. So you're saying you can concentrate your time and focus on a specific action or a specific uh, process. Is that what you're saying? Um, I'm saying when you learn how to um, 
when you learn very potent skills, it takes less of having to do it over and over for you to see the effect. Got it. So the more powerful your magic is, the less of it you have to do and pull out all the time. But the but this leads me to my second point, which you were talking about feeling phony. A lot of time is wasted by people thinking that there is a way to be spiritual and then doing those things and feeling phony and having no results. The fast track to spirituality is getting in touch with your intuition because your intuition is going to show you how to make the shots, <laughs> to make the tonics. It's going to give you the fast track way because then nothing you're going to be doing is going to be phony. Then you're living in authenticity. When you live in your authenticity, things will accelerate. So if I'm just like how to reduce stress and then I Google how to reduce stress and it's like um, sleep more and meditate and say, um, I know I can do it. I know I can do it um, 106 times every day and especially on the full moon. So then I write that down and I start doing it because Astro Lady 777 told me to do that. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not going to reap any rewards because there's wisdom in what she's saying. That's why she's telling you, because that probably worked for her because we're, we're all here as humans and some capacity. It's going to work for me a little, maybe sometimes. But if I go inside and ask myself, what do I need to relieve my stress? The answer I'm going to give myself is going to work five times faster and better than what Astro Lady 777 said on Yahoo Conversations in 2004 on the post. <laughs> um, yeah, so you won't feel phony if you don't be phony. And being phony is not asking yourself first. I'm an Aries. We are the first in everything on the Zodiac wheel. We're the first sign. Um, we represent building confidence in yourself and your ego. So I know all of this because I'm really sitting here to spread the message of self-knowledge and self-confidence and getting power from no other source other than right here. Right. I love that. I, lo I love the term self-knowledge because... I think the, the term self-love now is starting to get really heavily flavored and self-knowledge mm -hmm. brings home that point you just made. It's about tuning in with yourself and understanding yourself more and listening to yourself more and forming a relationship because of that with yourself. I just wanted to add that because I love that term, self-knowledge. Yeah, self-awareness. And I know a lot of people, they'd be like, how do I ask myself a question if I knew the answer and have the question? That's a lie. That's a bunch of bullshit. It's a lot of answers that we know that we know, but we aren't ready to accept that that is the answer because it would mean that, whoa, 
I'm more powerful than I actually know I am. Like, it's a little too easy. It's like, I ask myself, what'll stop stressing me out? And then myself replies, you gotta break up with your boyfriend and quit your job. And then I'm like, no, that's too hmm. easy. <laughs> and then you do the roundabout and you go to therapy and you ask your friend and at the end, they all be like, it sounds like it's your job and your boyfriend that's stressing you out. Maybe you should leave them. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you should talk to them about it. And, and then that's what you end up doing. But you knew that. You knew that. You just weren't ready to accept that you knew that. And that's a big problem. That's really interesting. Um, I actually did an episode. Uh, it was episode 10 of this podcast uh, where I was talking with a few few friends at the time. And we were talking about... Uh, knowing when it's time to jump ship on something, when it's time mm-hmm. to get out, get out of a relationship, move country, quit a job or whatever it may be, it's a big thing. And we came to the conclusion that even though we pretend that we, th- we think we don't know what the right answer is, we do every time because we select the people to ask advice from who we know will give us the answer we want to hear. Exactly. We really want confirmation that what we're thinking isn't crazy, but cut all of that out. Stop thinking you're crazy. That's your problem now. You have self-doubt. You think that you're going to destroy your own life with your mind and that what you think what you're thinking can't possibly be divinely initiated. And that gets back to my um, first point. The way I get through life, the way I have gotten through which makes it very positive and, and, a, and safe for me, is that I see myself as my best friend. I see my thoughts as my best friends. I see my heart as my best friend and my feelings as my best friend. So when my best friend talks to me, I listen. And I don't doubt that she would lie to me. And I'm telling you, I've lived that way since I was a child and it has never led me astray. Like if I meet a person and my heart tells me in the many ways that it does as an empath and a clairsentient that this person um, is not good for me, I take that into account as real valid information. Our feelings are not some trash that we can just throw away that you think God gave us feelings for funsies? You think this is a game? You think your nervous system is a joke? (laughs) You think you don't have intuition? You think intuition is something that only women have and that it's um, it's some type of um, some type of like mystical fairy tale component of a human being. Your intuition is your compass to to a better life to out of any situation. When I'm in a situation and it's hard for me and I don't know what to do, I literally cut my brain off and I drop down into my heart and I I ask my heart, yo, what do we do? And my heart is like, (laughs) and then I do that. And like like a magic potion, 
whatever was clogged up starts to move. Or if my brain was really like with anxiety and stress just locked up, how it gets when we are experiencing anxiety, I go down into my heart and I go, yo, upstairs is really not working. It's really congested up there. It's it's filled with fear and it's not it's not moving anything forward. And I asked my heart, so what should we do? And then when I follow my heart, like where do you think this stuff comes from? Follow your heart. How can you follow something right. that's not moving? Because it is moving. You can't see it moving on the third dimensional plane, but in an astral plane, it's moving. So you have to follow it. You literally have to follow your heart. And then when I do, all that was clogged up in here starts getting decongested and starts flowing. And I'm like, oh, I re literally, if you can't remember something because of stress, if you drop down into your heart and just go, I know that this thing is in my head. I believe in myself. I'm not going to just let me relax and believe that everything is all right. You'll remember. I play these games with myself like... Um, I'll have a friend or a person will come in and I can't remember their name. And I'm so afraid that like I'm going to embarrass myself because I can't remember their name and I know they're going to ask me. And then I just relax. I drop down into my heart and I ask my heart, tell me this person's name. Tell me this person. Remind me what this person's name is. Help me find it in my brain. And then I'm like, Rebecca, <laughs> that's Rebecca. You can you got to talk to yourself. You can like answer and reply and talk to yourself. People think that's called being crazy. That's a lie. That's all I can say about that. Yeah, I I, I agree with that as well. Um, I, I struggled a lot with uh, first beginning those steps, those first bits of communication mm -hmm. uh, with myself. I really thought like this this is insane. Like <laughs> I'm just <laughs> you know I'm I'm talking to myself. And again, it was a doubt. It was a fear and there's just deep, deep, deep doubt of like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're trying to think positive. All these fears, all these doubts, just discrediting any effort uh, I made towards sort of connecting with myself, whatever that was at the time, because I didn't even know what that meant. Like what you can you can talk, you know, you can talk to yourself in the mirror and someone hears it. Like, like, how does that work? You know? Um, and I know you, you've, you've talked, you talk about that in your Ted talk, look at yourself in the mirror. I'm pretty sure I remember you saying that, well, I had a question actually, and my list of questions was why is it so hard to look ourselves in the mirror and say, I love you. And that was one of the recommendations. I don't know. As an Aries, I look myself in the mirror all the time. I'm looking at myself in this camera right now, just talking to myself. <laughs> but that's that's me, right? Not everyone is the same. And there, the way my natal chart is set up, my astrological birth chart, some things come easily to me, more easy than someone else might find it. But whatever, no matter the level of difficulty. And my strengths and your weaknesses, we're all able to do these things. So I'm just blessed that I'm like, um, I have these talents, but you, you'll have your talents that I wish I could have, that I'll have to work at. So for me, it's not hard, but. Um, okay. So what, yeah. what has been hard? Like that brings it back to the, 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 really the first question, what has been the hardest thing to overcome because obviously i'm sure there are other Aryans out there uh 
struggling or maybe hit you know embarking on this journey of of self-understanding and self-knowledge and about to hit the same obstacle or they already have and they're looking for answers so what like just if you can remember back like what's something you really struggle with um struggle 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 all right so let's let's put out the shadow side of aries so each sign has a uh what we call a shadow side or the things that um, are in the sub that if you're if you're doing very well and you're vibrating at the high level of that archetype, that's you um, that's you exemplifying the, the most positive, pure qualities of that sign and really doing a sign justice. But you could be the same sign and vibrating on a lower level and be exemplifying the the most childish um, expression, the most petty expression of that archetype so aries at its height is the savior it's defending people it's defending um the people themselves it's being inspirational and theatrical and bringing light into people's lives but at its low side its shadow side an aries person and i've struggled with this um struggles with being um inconsiderate um self-centered um demanding and controlling and dominating um because the aries wants everyone to be as amazing as they see themselves that if a person isn't doing so well at that an aries person can become mean like yo get yourself up get your life together i did it why can't you do it that's aries so i can say that i definitely have struggled with um not being patient because aries at its low vibration is impatient and impulsive so like i'll get a group of people together and i and i'll start um a poetry team and then they'll be writing poetry and i'll think the poetry's not good and i'll be like Aries are also very blunt and fearless. I'll be like, okay, this, this is, this is garbage. <laughs> the person is like, I tried so hard. And I was like, I don't care. And you need to get better because I'll never talk to you again if you write a line like this again. <laughs> and literally be feeling like that's okay to say to a person. <laughs> so we take tough love to like a different. So I struggle with, um, holding having too high standards for people and then getting angry when they don't meet them okay okay got it now i want to go back because you were talking about spirituality before in the context of um self-understanding and self-knowledge and i mean you briefly mentioned it but like how important do you think it is to incorporate spirituality, whatever? You, I mean, there's many different definitions of what spirituality is and how to practice it. But do you feel that spirituality is a vital part of getting to know yourself? Or is it something like, yeah, maybe I'll just let you answer and I'll share my own thoughts afterwards. Okay. I don't know what that word means, spirituality. 
I know I said it, but I probably say it like once a year <laughs> when I'm trying to left brain work this information. Um, where, where I come from, my frame of reality, we're all, me picking up this phone as a spiritual act, we're all doing spirituality life. I, somebody tweeted, somebody tweeted yesterday. I'm gonna pull it up. She said, shout out to Indigo Starseed um, at BFABB121 on Twitter. She said, you're a ghost driving a meat-coated skeleton made from stardust. What do you have to be afraid of? So when I think, yeah, what are you afraid of? You're a ghost, you're a spirit. I mean, I hope we have all by this point realized that we're not our physical bodies. If we haven't figured that out, then we might have some stuff to do. But once you once you accept that, I mean, even if you're a hardcore radical Christian, the Bible says that we are we have souls and we are spirits and our souls move on. And that's what heaven is and going to hell. Your physical body isn't going to hell. It's the thing that is in that is inside of your body that gives your body life and animation. Um, when we die, our bodies go cold because there is something in us that's keeping it warm. And then when that thing leaves, the body is just a meat soup carcass on the ground, lifeless. So when I hear spirituality, the fact that I am animating my skeleton from within means I'm, I'm already spiritual, that everything that I, every movement I make is spiritual and, and every aspect of being alive on planet earth is spirituality. Yeah. I agree with I agree with that definition. I think I mean spirituality in itself is a huge topic. Just the definition of alone, uh, definition alone is uh, quite a quite a big discussion. But um, for myself, yeah, I agree with everything you just said. It seems inherent that there is more than meets the eye, the physical eye, and. Uh, um, I, I like to, you know, sometimes I, I'm having a talk with my father or, uh, you know, anyone who's a little bit more uh, centered on um, what you can see and prove and measure is real and what you can't doesn't exist, right? So I like to reflect. I'm not saying that's wrong or bad or anything. I'm just, I sort of start to reflect on things like creativity the thing we call intuition, which that's, you were talking that's about just, before. That's just hilarious because I, as a human body, I'm made up of a bajillion particles that I can't see with my eye. You know, the atomic level in science is a very, the atomic world is a very real world that I walk around and I'm breathing in particles that if I had to say, if I see it, then it exists, and if I don't see, then it don't, then I wouldn't have any air to breathe. I wouldn't be in skin, because I can't see the atoms and the electrons and the protons and the neutrons that are moving at an incredibly rapid pace to make me up, but I would be quite naive to say that they don't exist. Now, we have developed technology that can zoom down and see that it exists, but when we were cavemen, or when some were cavemen, and didn't have that um, microscope, would it be in, would, would they have been correct to say that an atom didn't exist because they didn't have a microscope? 
when they were literally sitting in a sack of atoms. So the way I, the way I think of things beyond is, bro, you, have, you don't have the right microscope, you don't have the right eyes open to see it, but to say it doesn't exist is like to say atoms don't exist because we can't see it with our physical eyes. That's not a shot at your dad. He's probably a great person, <laughs> That's not a, but just to, to, the unknown, you have to respect the unknown more. And, and realize that we have more to discover as a collective consciousness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And right now I'm reminded of the, uh, the fourth states of knowing and not knowing. It's like you can know you don't know. You can know that you know something. You can, you can not know that you don't know something. And you can know that you don't know something. I hope I didn't repeat one of them twice. But you, the last one was you can you cannot know that you don't know something. That's what right. you missed. Right. So that's a real thing. That's a real thing. And um, totally, you look at your hand, you don't see the atoms. You just see this this object that you can you have control over, and you just you know use it. Uh, but how you know that's one of the things I actually like to do to bring myself back into the present moment whether I'm experiencing fear or doubt or just wanting to reground myself is to look back at my hands and not see them as hands, but as these objects I am in control of. Um, that's something that's worked for me. That's something that's worked for me. And I know you've talked about uh, the realization that, you know, being very uh, disconnected from your physical body and sort of being like, how, how did I get in here? Uh, we were talking about that last time when we had some uh, pretty serious technical difficulties and we had to stop. But um, that was a really interesting uh, uh, thing you shared. Um, but right now, I want to sort of move on to uh, other obstacles that are unique to... Um, African-Americans trying to practice self-love or self-understanding because obviously that's a field I don't know about and it's a very, very real thing. Um, and I'm wondering if you had any thoughts or, uh, or um, insights to share on that. Yeah, you asked the question, are there unique obstacles which people of African-American descent face in the arena of self-love? And I had to do a lot of thinking and feeling around that question to come up with an answer I was satisfied with. And the answer I came up with, it says, no, not really. Okay. <laughs> no, not really. On the contrary, um, I think melanated people have one of the highest capacities to experience self-love because when you plunge so low, an object that plunges so low, when it does come up, when it's been under immense pressure and that pressure is let up, it literally skyrockets. Hmm. And that's how I think of us as a people in our situation. It's just that this whole time, we're just putting in reserve this energy that once we get aligned and come into alignment, that we're just going to skyrocket. So that's my answer to that question. Also wrote, um, 
in a more dense and concentrated way, we might face um, obstacles of self-love. So I can um, admit to some degree that the obstacles are more concentrated and dense, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them different. Um, okay. A threat to someone's humanity, like anything that's making you not love yourself is a, is a threat to your self-awareness. Anything that's trying to tell you that you aren't who you are, even if, as I say, I have a, um, a white woman and she's getting bombarded with these images that um, she's not skinny enough, then I have a black child who's getting bombarded with these images that he's going to die before the age of 24 from murder. One might seem more extreme than the other, but the way I see it is it's the same force. It's a force telling a person that they, that they aren't good enough the way that they are. Now, one of those forces is saying that you have to do something as, as simple as lose weight, and another force might be telling a kid that you have to do some a work that's a little harder than just losing weight. But I see the source, this over, this presiding source, telling a person you're not okay the way you are, and you won't be okay unless you change. The kid is getting told he's not okay being black, and he won't be okay that unless he be, assimilates and becomes less of himself. And then this woman is getting told that she's not okay being a certain size, and she will never find love until she loses the weight and is no longer herself. That force is giving the same message. It's just one is doing it in a little more diabolical way than another. But I still see these two people who might seem very different from each other. They still have this. They're still charged with the same mission is to to overcome that outside force and take power back into themselves. So it might seem like it on the outside that African-Americans, black people, people of African descent, people of color, melanated people have unique obstacles. No, I think everyone in the world right now has a gun pointed to their head. We might have like AK-47s and other people pistols, but a gun is a gun and violence is violence. Um, I feel about that. So when what, the, the, the metaphor of the gun, what does that represent for you? Like are you calling that the force that's telling us that we're not good enough? Yes, the force. Um, let's instead of let's calling it what it what it is, let's call it what it's not. As the gun is a lack of self awareness, okay. a lack of self knowledge. That's the gun. Um, whenever you feel fear, that's because you are lacking self awareness. Because in reality, there's nothing to fear. Whenever you feel um, despair whenever you feel um, anxiety and depression better believe that that's a lack of self-awareness because i mean it's it's hard to explain it's really not hard to explain but in my frame of reality if anything is going wrong it's me standing in my way you know when they say the key to your mind you're holding it behind your own back. They don't say that. I, ju- I just made that up. But some, somebody, they say that say now. Similar, yes, they'll say it now. Somebody um, says that, like, 
I really do feel like in any situation where I feel pigeonholed that I have the power, me alone, no one outside of myself has the power. I mean, other people can come in and help, but I don't need anyone to help. I can figure this out by my own power. So the gun to our head is the la is when is when we forget that we have that power. Um, or when we when we are blocking it in some way and we feel like we're being attacked and that someone is punishing us, that we're being punished, that life is punishing us, that's the gun to our heads. When we feel like victims, when we're running the victimization program. And that is the gun because feeling scared, anxiety, depression, victimization is a literal gun because those things kill people. People kill themselves from those emotions. So that is the gun, those emotions, emotion, energy in motion. I had a dream in college one night when I had just started meditating and buying crystals. I was like, sophomore year, how was old? I was like 18, 19. And um, in the dream, I woke up and I was still in my room. So I had thought that I really had woken up, but it was still a dream. I know people have those sometimes. And um, I woke up. And as soon as I woke up, my room turned into this like blue room. Everything was blue, the ceiling, the floor. It was just like a completely blue room and nothing was in it. It was empty and it was me. And on the other side, there was this gray figure, which looked like um, what we would term grays or aliens. Um, just the, the typical idea of alien with like the big heads. Um, and it was, it was like blue gray color but it was blurry like I didn't have my glasses on and as I in this dream I'm asking myself in my head I'm going what are you doing or who what is that and as soon as I start thinking that the being in a split second is from all the way across the room which feels like a mile and it's directly in my face like nose touching my nose and it says one thing before the dream is over it says E motion, and then I woke up just like that. And I remember when it came to me, my, the first thought I had was, How did you get all the way over here that fast without walking? And telepathically, I was having this conversation with it. So it came, and I was like, How did you get over here? And it was like, E motion, and then I woke up. <laughs> wow, completely know what that dream is about. But I brought it up because it connects that emotion, energy, and motion. So when we feel anxiety and depression and anger and despair and sadness and loneliness, those things are emotions, right? They're energy and motion, and they have the power to move things from across a room to another room. So, like, that's the gun to our heads. Our lack of knowledge of how that science works can be our demise. So in my life, my only, my only um, job, it is my only mission and charge and purpose is to become a master of that um, power and technique of emotions. I wanted to, so a question came up for me when you were talking about, uh, talking about what that force of I'm not good enough or uh, maybe I, I mis misinterpreted uh, it, but 
what the gun was not. And you said it's a lack of self-understanding. Yeah, because you can't really pigeonhole it into one thing because it doesn't act upon your life in one way. The gun isn't just I'm not good enough. It's I will fail. It's um, I mean, it can be boiled down until I'm not. But the way it functions in our lives is it comes through thousands of different thoughts every day. So and it's not just I'm not good enough. It's thoughts that weigh us down, thoughts that um that um, direction us or position us in a direction that makes us feel powerless, whatever thought that might be. Any thought that makes you feel bad is the gun, is the smoking gun. Okay. Any thought that makes you scared or, or anxious or depressed, whatever that thought is, is the gun. Okay. So, and, and you, I, I mean, I said self-understanding, you were saying it's a lack of self-understanding, but, uh, well, I guess yeah. self-awareness and self-understanding are like yeah. synonyms. Um, but I wanted to ask you, how do you practice self-awareness so as to relieve, uh, or show yourself the truth of, of your doubts or your, or your, your fears when they're holding That's a you good back? question. Um, you have to spend time with yourself in the quiet. That's why we say meditate, because you can't hear yourself if you're around other people all the time. How can you be aware of yourself if you're staring at a television screen being aware of other people's lives? You gotta be aware of your life by meditating on your life, not obsessing over it and having anxiety, because meditating on a life is different from letting a life engulf you in your fears. Like your fears are not your life. Those are your fears. You got to put them in their own category. So spending time with yourself is not spending time um, in a delusional state. Um, spending time with yourself is not spending time sulking. Right. It's not synonymous. Um, so how will you practice spending yeah. time with yourself? <sighs> It's so it's so difficult for me to answer these questions because um, I do it. Not I'm an introvert. It's literally the way I function is is doing these things. So let me see. Um, right, I was just about to ask you that if if you saw yourself as an introvert or an extrovert, because obviously it's uh, it's a slightly easier ta easier task for an introvert. Uh, as we, yeah, I also consider myself on, right. the, on the border of introversion extroversion. I can sort of go back and forth. Right. But, um, uh, yeah, we get energy from spending time with ourselves. And whereas extroverts right. recharge by being around other people. So, if anything, I think extroverts have a harder time taking time out to spend time with themselves and really connect. But you can be in a room full of... No, that's wrong, Ben. I got to tell you that's wrong. I'm glad you're telling me that. Yep. Okay, I got to tell you that's wrong because... You can't be in a room full of people and feel alone. We say that, right? So you can do this work of spending time with yourself around other people. Um, I just believe that extroverts need more input from other people. But all of input, think about it, in, is going in. So it's, it's about, I can be at a party with my friends they will still be saying things. The moment that the self-awareness comes into play, 
It's not that I'm in my room by myself. It's that when that person says something to me and it goes inside me, what do I do then? The process of alchemizing that energy and alchemizing their words and putting it and compartmentalizing it in my body and in my mind. What do, what do I do with that comment that that person just said to me? You know, that's the being alone with yourself for extroverts, I guess. Like you can uh, be around people and still be with yourself even though you're physically around people. So that a lot of people, they do need to go out and get input because they, they process, they thrive off of external stimuli. Um, but it's really just two sides of the same coin because I'm giving myself stimuli when I'm in my room by myself. It's just that I, like I'm bouncing the idea off of my own, the own walls of my, of my head. But if I were out, I would still be bouncing someone's I It's just that it's kind of like when I'm alone, it's like if I'm playing ping pong, I'm when I'm doing it alone, I'm still hitting the ball. I'm just running to the other side of the table to hit it back to myself. And it's just when another person is is out in a party or they like to be social, they're hitting the ball and someone is hitting it back to them. But we are both still playing ping pong. It's just that I'm choosing to be the only player in my play. I'm choosing to be introverted, to be um, self-centered, where another person is choosing to play with some other players. But we still playing the alchemizing game of information that's coming in. How am I going to hit the ball? I'm, they're still, they still can do the work, even if it seemingly is another person on the other side of the table. And my school of thought says that that person is just a reflection of you in a different form anyway. So you're still playing by yourself. Yep, yep. So <laughs> so uh, as, as you're saying that, all these thoughts are going on in my head like, okay, so how do I know when to uh, spend time with others but still be with myself? And how do I know when to take time for myself? And I think that brings me back to what you said at the start of our uh, interview today, whereas you said you just you check in with yourself. You know, you ask. Yeah, yourself I was about to say, question. Ben, don't ask this question. This is you know the answer. Yeah. You ask yourself, what would I like to do today? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, and by asking that, you get the answer to what is the most potent course of action for taking care of yourself and to, to connecting right. with yourself in that moment. So I just wanted to rehash that. Um, uh, so it sinks in for me, but, um, and I, and I yeah. just think introverted people have chosen the path of when they ask themselves that question, they usually are going to choose to say, I like to stay in and play the game with my, just myself today. That's just their tendency. And extroverted people have the tendency to play the game with other people, but, I don't think there's much difference between an introvert and an extrovert. It's just different styles of playing the game. It's just different flavors. Yeah, look, I, I've been I've been uh, searching for an answer on that uh, f on the extrovert side for a while. So thanks for clearing that up for me. That uh, it's really helpful. Um, so I want to ask you, like, we're coming to the end of our, our talk uh, today. Hopefully, it's not the last one because this has been amazing. Um, I just wanted to ask you which uh, frontier of self-love are you currently working on or it's like you could be not just self-love but accepting yourself could be in the arena of self-awareness um, are you aware of anything you're currently 
actively working on for yourself? Absolutely. Um, you asked me that and I answered, what did I say? I really like this other question that you asked too. What would you say to those who deeply doubt themselves, those thinking of themselves as truly worthless, imparably, irreparably broken or easily forgettable? I like that question, but I'll answer yours first, the first one. Which frontier of self-love or acceptance are you currently working on? I wrote being self-sustained and escaping the matrix of being controlled by money and being a wage worker. Um, I have a goal of never having a boss again by the age of 25. <laughs> so that's one of the things I'm working on. Um, a huge part of self-love or self-awareness is awareness of where you're spending your energy. And if I'm working from nine to five under someone else's project to make someone else's dreams come true, how much time am I not making my dream come true? Like when you work for a person, you're literally aligning yourself with their mission statement. So you're becoming like their worker bee. But what's your mission statement? A lot of us, when we look for jobs, we be like, yeah, I read the mission statement. That's totally what I want to do. That's a lie 90% of the time. You need money. So you kind of squeeze your, your who you really are into this package of, I guess I could do this for a couple of years and that wouldn't be too far away from who I really am. Okay, mm. That has to stop. That's, sure. That has to stop. And that's compromising yourself out of a fear that if you don't, you'll be poor and can't eat and can't sustain yourself. So becoming self-sustained is a is my north node. It's where I'm I'm going at this point because I've recognized that me working for someone is not in alignment with who I am. Who I am, I don't want to work for anyone but myself. Um, so, and I realized that me do, that I've always known that, that going to work was drudgery, I've always known that. And the only reason I kept doing it is out of fear. So as I eliminate fear-based actions, I eliminate having a job. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Right. Now. So I, I, I can just hear the questions from other people listening, like, like, how do you, how do you make money then? Like, you know, you can't just quit your job. You can't like go from, uh, uh, like money to no money and still be okay. Um, and, and I guess my answer to that would be that I think it's still okay to work, even if uh, it's not something that you're aligned with or you believe in, but it's still okay to work if it's going to get you to uh, not working, the not working stage. If it's, if it's like... Right, like it's all a process. It, you don't build the house in a day. It's about your intentions. It's your intention to build a house. Do you, when people ask you, hey, what are you doing? I'm working on my house today. Are you really working on becoming self-employed, becoming self-sustained? Or if you want to work for someone, if that's your soul path, go ahead and do it. If your dream is to work at Goldman Sachs or to work at BET or to, to work at in at a nonprofit if you want to do AmeriCorps or something. If that is your if you check in with yourself and yourself says, I want to work for BT, then do that. Being self-sustained and I'm not employed with the boss, that's my life path. That's when I check in with myself. That's what myself says. But if yourself says, I do want a job and I want to work at 
where do people work these days? I want to, I want to. Well, they, they work, work they at, work office jobs, they work um, waiting tables, they, you know, they, there's all sorts right. of jobs. But I mean, the, the takeaways I'm getting from, from what you're saying is that if basically what's aligned with, with you um, and you're saying that yeah. working for someone. It's like, you know how you, yeah, go ahead. You're saying that working for someone really isn't aligned with you. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know your specific steps or your game plan out of that, you know, but you're answering the question, what are you currently working on? What's your current frontier um, to uh, that uh, self, self-awareness and self-acceptance? And you tuned in and, and you heard that uh, this is that working for someone else is not something that's aligned with what you want to do, what your purpose is here. Yeah, like, you know how you feel every morning when you wake up for work. I didn't make that up. You you know that conversation you have with yourself in your head before you get out of bed to get out of bed, which you say to yourself. So if that conversation isn't, wow, this is going to be a great day. I'm so excited for what, how I'm about to spend the next nine hours. You might have a problem. <laughs> you might be hushing the voice that says, I really am. I mean, I have my best friend. I mean, I have friends who are who suffer from anxiety that's directly related to work. Like they're scared to go to work because they are like, I don't know how I'm going to get through. They think about what work consists of and who they have to see and talk to, what they have to say to this person and what their task list and the conversations that they are charged to have. And they have anxiety attacks. Okay. So uh, that's multifaceted, but it's all connected. It's all connected because if your job is really, I don't think anyone wakes up to go to an amazing job that's in alignment with who they are and feels anxiety. Not saying that my friend's anxiety is completely stemming from this workplace, but there's some work to do around the way she, the way her and her workplace are interacting to make that come into a better alignment. And, and nine times out of 10, I'm not going to lie to you, it's the workplace. It's not you. It is the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I would agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, it's a it's a really big topic, um, and uh, definitely enough material there for another discussion. But I just want to move on to uh, the next question. Um, oh, maybe you want to respond to the one the question you liked before that I sent through via email. Yeah, the question you sent. I'll read it again. What would you have to say to those deeply doubting themselves, thinking? that they are truly worthless and irreparably broken and easily forgettable. Um, when you wrote this, this is my favorite, my second favorite question after the African-American one to answer because I was playing that ping pong game with myself, right? And I had to had to do that work and figure out what I really believed. And um, this question has home for me because no matter how I may appear to people, because I have Sun and Venus and Aries and Leo in the house of Leo, I'm and a Scorpio rising, so I might appear very strong and inspirational and um, without a care to people, but I resonate deeply with those who have gone through um, deep depression and suicide ideation and feeling like the world 
was over and that their world is over and that they were dying, but they were still somehow still alive. I resonate very deeply with those people. And that's what this question spoke to me. Like when you said irreparably broken and deeply doubting and that they're worthless. I have a really strong message to send to those people that, um, yeah, I have a really strong message to send to those people because those are the people who I love the most and who need the most love at this time. And to them, I would say, go watch Alan Watts' video. Alan Watts, A-L-A-N-W-A-T-T, on YouTube, video titled, Come Off of It. Come Off of It. Um, I'll summarize what he says in that video. This is how I interpreted what he said, but you should still go watch that video. But um, to those people, I want to say you are attached to the idea that you are worthless. And your attachment to that idea that you are worthless is a drug. It's a sort of drug. And you are addicted to the idea of hating yourself completely and utterly addicted to the idea of hating yourself. And when you are ready to come off of the drug, come off of it, and you can when you are ready. Another way to put it, you've created an illusion for yourself that you are waking up in and participating in perpetuating. So this isn't another way to say it. This is the second part to it. You've created an illusion for yourself, and every day that you wake up, you are contributing to perpetuating it. It's as if to say there was a rich guy, and you um, idolized this rich guy, and you felt that you were poor. And every day you woke up with $5, and you woke up, and you know that this guy is rich, and you take your $5, and you hate your poverty, but you give it to him. And then you turn around and sulk that you're poor. But you woke up every day and the little bit of money you did have, because for you to still be alive, there's something there. So that little bit of money you did have, you gave it away. There's something there, even when you feel worthless, there's something there keeping you alive. You need to take that and deposit it into your future, into your wellness. Deposit it into your health and your healing and getting better and your recovery and stop giving it away to that beast that's eating you alive every day. And that and that, that ties into when people say it's a choice. You know, I've suffered from um, eating disorders, from binge eating, from a lot of mental ailments. And when people used to say, it's a choice, you're choosing to do that, I would become disgusted at them. Like, how dare you say that me being sick is my choice? Do you even understand what I go through every day for you to think that I would choose to do this? And I really didn't understand what they were saying, but now I do. And I'm telling you as a person who was there and is out that I was making that choice. And it didn't look like it to me during the time that I was making that choice. But now that I look back, I see that I was. So I'm inviting those who are ready to come out of it, to come out of it. 
and to come off it, go watch that Alan Watts video. Um, but when you are ready to stop feeling that way, whatever way that is, you will stop. When you are ready, you will stop. And I had to self-acceptance to just tie it all around back to the beginning and close it. Self-acceptance is sometimes just accepting that you're not ready to do better yet and being okay with that. Some self-acceptance is saying, I know what I have to do and I just don't have it in me to do that yet. So I'm not gonna do that yet. And I'm not gonna hate myself that I wasn't ready to do better yet. I'm gonna sit in my whatever it is that I can't come out of and be okay that I'm sitting in it and I'm not ready and that I'm doing this self-harm thing every day or this not believing in my, I'm, okay. I'm not going to persecute myself for being persecuted. I'm not going to kick myself when I am down. That's self-love, to know that you're down and to look in the mirror and go, you are down. I don't know, if I'm, I'm not gonna curse right now because I don't think we should be cursing on your show. We didn't talk about that before. But you look at your, yourself and you go, I am, um, I'm down and pathetic. <laughs> I'm down and I am pathetic right now. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. That's actually one of the first steps because probably your biggest problem is that you are, you're angry at yourself for not being the better version of yourself. And that anger is what's keeping you from being the better version. So if you just be like, I'm a piece of crap and that's cool with me, I love it. I love myself, I love it. That's my $5 that I have. That's my $5 of self-awareness is that I am a piece of crap. Declare it because at least now you're alive. Now you're saying I am, I am, I am something. I'm something, now what can we do with crap? And yeah. then you move forward. Yeah. I. I agree with all of my heart and that that is self-acceptance and true self-acceptance that's a real-time practice so you can accept yourself today right now and tune in with that feeling if you feel like crap if you feel down and out then that's what you need to accept but tomorrow you might feel somewhat better or just different in some way and then that's that's the new moment or thing to accept i really don't know how to to phrase that uh so it makes sense but um mm -hmm. it, it's really no, it makes sense it makes sense okay you're good. talking about this you're talking about the second part of that is because you said tomorrow so you're talking about the fact that there's tomorrow and you're really talking about intention is like i know i am a piece of crap today and i accept that but there's a second part of that but what do i honestly go into your heart what do i want to be tomorrow set the expect something that you can achieve small tomorrow now i don't want to go from a piece of crap or think i'm a piece of crap to um just psh, never letting anybody walk over me again and just cutting friends off and quitting my job instead of setting a bar so high you go i'm a, I'm a piece of crap today and tomorrow i want and you use actions instead of being because being is this big concept if we could scale it down to things because you are what you do actually so you can become what you want to be when you do what those people do right so you can go i might be a piece of crap today but tomorrow i want to 
take myself on a date. An expensive, I want to go to McDonald's and sit there and order my favorite stuff off the menu and talk to myself about what I'll do the next day and plan my next day. And I'm a piece of crap, but I could, I could, I could, I could work that out for myself tomorrow. I can make it to a McDonald's. And if you just keep doing those baby steps, you'll look back to when you thought you were a piece of crap <laughs> in that first McDonald's date and you'll be transformed. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've gone through that too. And I think it feels like you're talking about the bricks. It's one brick at a time. You lay them down and uh, you don't have to worry about what you're building because it's incredible. You just have to trust that you just keep putting those bricks down of self-acceptance and asking yourself, what do I need in this moment to take care of myself? Or what do I need in this moment right. to keep it simple? Yeah. Um, and the, the state you were just talking about uh, where you're just down, you're at the lowest low. I've been there and the next day, the tomorrow for me, when I asked myself, what do I need tomorrow? It was as simple as taking myself for a walk. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Tomorrow I'm going to go for a walk. Right. Just a walk. And, you know, someone else might look at me like, what? Like, how is that? You're just going for a walk. How is that special at all? Like, how is that going to take you from feeling like crap to feeling like something other than feeling like crap? And right. if that's the answer you receive from tuning in, asking yourself, what do I need? Do it. do it 100% do it and see what happens yeah. see how you feel don't yeah yeah I can tell we're both really passionate about that uh that point um wow thank you for sharing your message thanks I wanted to give you the chance or the space to share any uh any of your poetry if you would like to uh in this discussion <laughs> Not poetry. I forgot that we talked about that. Is my camera on? It's not. It's not. But your uh, okay. your picture is up. Okay. Cool. Um, poetry. 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 I actually have a poem that's pretty related about um, about suppression that I wrote during a workshop with a wonderful poet named Ariana Brown. Um, Ariana has a workshop called Demons, Diaspora, and Magic. I think I might have switched those around, but Demons, Diaspora, and Magic are in there. And um, my friend Ariana, I'll pl we'll put the link also in the bottom, but for any person of color, I think it's not just women, it's people of color in general. My friend has a relatively affordable poetry workshop where she meets with you on Google Hangouts and y'all write poetry together to help you get through whatever you're going through. And I took um, this course with her and wrote this poem in this, in this course. Um, and I'm about to read to you. It was a really, really effective course. Looking at this manuscript, because then I actually turned the course, like all the poems I wrote, I'm writing a manuscript called Star Trek throughout depression. So uh, basically a survival guide throughout depression with these poems. So this is a poem that appears in that manuscript and it's called um, Fighting Demons with Daisy Pollen. 
I remember laid like brick in the corner of my bed, face down, body limp, head cocked to the side. There was a blunt rap, high when the demon clawed its way in, flexing dark skin and blending with my blood. It fed upon the twine of my brain, the fabric of reality torn right in front of me. Suddenly, everybody's lives became intricately woven fabric that presents as our faces. I imagine depression like God in everything, everywhere, all the time. I remember when my face broke, an alien with 10 brown appendages extending from my meaty arms, I found myself as three-dimensional as can be, and ever since, terrified to be alive. I remember fighting by telling my professor I wanted to die. She, as shaken up as a bag of seashells, captured and delivered my bones to a psychiatrist. I remember fighting by telling the psychiatrist that my father is a bomb and my mother was a lighthouse lighting the way to a closet of his bones. I remember fighting by telling my father, I've seen your bones and will not step back into your house until you see the psychiatrist. I remember when I made saving my life a new religion, a sentence with no parole, but the strength of the demon is in its persistence. I miss a therapy appointment. I miss a meal. I miss my mother. Depression never misses. At least that's what it feels like when it lurks into my home, my bed, my head cocked to the side, a blunt wrap. I imagine depression like God in everything, everywhere, all the time. But some mornings, I put Aunt Jemima syrup on Aunt Jemima pancakes, and while the mahogany goo runs down the edges, I imagine the entire black race getting its wealth back. And I look at that glistening stuck to the crescents of Aunt Jemima's cheekbones, despite being sold into capitalism. And without a mirror, I know that she is me. And my depression stops being a demon and becomes an Aunt Jemima pancake box. And I am now she, trapped atop a lie. And my depression becomes a lie. And I, but with enough beauty to blind the devil, become the truth. I remember wanting to have a funeral for myself, that there should be a ceremony for this kind of thing when a layer of you sheds. I was dying to myself and I would come out cold, cleaned of the experiences which made me gods and I would be reduced to nothing and hence should not be alive. This is called fatalism, a tendency to believe the worst will happen due to a lack of hope in the future. I remember fighting when I told my teacher. I remember fighting when I woke up this morning, 
when I wrote this poem. Every breath is fighting. Every step is fighting. Every yes is fighting. I remember no clashing like symbols in my ears until all confidence disappeared. Unsure of what was enough, I took everything in my mouth like my throat was a tornado. A bottle's neck held my enlightenment for ransom, but I swam good, stroked, smashed open bottles. I am beautiful. I am enough. I am beautiful enough to breaststroke my way out of this depression. If a chrysanthemum can brave the world, so can I. With my jawline, like the bow of a harp, I can play myself, triumphal songs, because my blood rushes through my body like an ocean, and death will be mine. But not like blood on the tiled floor in a honed weapon. More like trees, more like the ocean, my family. I will die natural, like the humidity before the cloud burst. That's, that's the whole poem. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Um, yeah, well, I have no more words after that. Um, if there's a, uh, where would you point people if they want to uh, read more about you, connect with you, sign up for all the good things from you? Where would you point people if, uh, yeah. I will point people to my website, which is simply my name.com. So Kara Lee, C-A-I-R-A Lee, L-E-E.com. Um, that's my website. It has my bio and my poems. Um, also, there's a link on there when you click on astrology. I'm a professional astrologer who's currently giving out relatively cheap birth chart readings, astrological, intuitive, life path readings. So hit me up. I'm on Twitter as um, New Priestess, N-U Priestess, and Instagram as X Priestess. And let's be friends. Cool. Great. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to add before we end our discussion today? No, I think I'm done. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'm done too. That was incredible. Um, thank you so much for your time and your everything you've shared today. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say. Thank really. you. Yeah. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. I'm so glad you emailed me. I'm very thankful. Well, I hope it's not the last time that uh, that we talk, because um, I'd really like to to have another one at some point. Yeah, no, I'm so excited. When you were like, we're about to end it, I was like, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, all right. We'll make space for another one. Absolutely. Uh, cool. But for now, uh, I'm going to say good night and um, thank you again. Um, good night and thank you again, and I'll hit you up later. Absolutely. Peace. Sleep well. Thank you so much, Kara. Bye.